And you may be seated. You may be seated. Good to all have you all here this morning, Pastor Adam, and welcome to Borshera Community Church, and especially a warm welcome to anyone who's visiting for the very first time. Um, we are glad that you are here with us. You all know that I like alliteration, <laughs> and so when I look at our mission statement, sometimes these words come to my mind. We have gathered to glorify God, and we have gathered to grow as disciples, and we have gathered to go with the gospel, with the gospel. Well, um, as, as we've been getting cozy with one another, as people come in to the church, so if you have an empty chair, feel free to offer that to someone. We also have the connect cards that are in the back of your seat. And if you have a prayer request or uh, some request that you need, fill that out and either put in the offering plate when the offering plate goes by or there's a box in the foyer. And hopefully you got your pink announcement um, bulletin also. Um, at 11 o'clock, we have the Come for More. Um, so that's our opportunity after our service to gather in smaller groups and, and center around the Word of God. And then uh, one other announcement I want to give this morning is that next Sunday, next Sunday we have a special speaker. John Payne, who is the district superintendent of our area, will be here. It is great to be a part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And so every once in a while, it, he, it's an opportunity for him to come and speak and bring God's word to us. So I'm looking forward to it, too, uh, to be here, for him to be here. So um, welcome. Welcome to Washera Community Church. Can we bow our heads in prayer? So Heavenly Father, thank you. And, and even your Holy Spirit, prepare us right now as we, we have a special service this morning. We have the communion tra trays that are out in front of us. So that's a part of our worship service this morning. We, we have a new book of the Bible that we're walking into. And um, so, Lord, uh, your Holy Spirit to guide us through that. But also, Lord Jesus, may we, may we be able to look around this Sunday and see our brothers and sisters in Christ, see the ones that you have brought together because of your son's death on the cross. And so, Lord, may that be just become more, um, oh, may we be more aware, even this day, of what you have done and how much you have loved us, how much you have loved us. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing another song unto the Lord? We want to praise the Lord this morning. I heard a praise this morning. Nancy Martin came up to me and said, I got all sewed up and I'm ready to go. Yeah, thanks, thankful for that. Thankful for the different people that God puts in our lives to sew us up at times and get us back out there again. I thank you for your prayers for me. I'm moving a lot better, sleeping a lot better. Um, giving side hugs. If anybody needs a hug, I need one. So I should get a lineup out there after the service kind of thing. But... Um, Let's remember those that are still uh, dealing with illness. Let's remember them in prayer this morning. Let's remember the ministries of this church, uh, the youth ministry, uh, men's ministry, our Come for More ministry. Let's remember that in prayer this morning. Let's remember our missionaries and especially Alice this morning. He's the one that we are to be praying for and the work that he does where he's going into disaster zones and offering uh much-needed practical help to people in need. And so let's remember Alice uh, in her prayers this morning. 
And also, let's remember this morning, as I said before, you have the trays in front of you, and so this is a, a time of reflection on your own self to say, Lord, I want to make sure that my heart is clear. I want to come, and, and if I need to confess anything this morning between you and me, God, then, then this is a great time to do that. It's a great time to do that. But let's bow our heads in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, that we can give praises. Thank you for the way that you have touched our lives this week. And if it be a physical touch, a spiritual touch, um, maybe it's a, a brother or sister in Christ who has come across our way this week that just gave us some encouragement that was just needed at the right time, we thank you for that. We thank you this morning, Lord, that we have a place to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to lift up your name. And Lord, this morning, prepare our hearts even now for the taking of the bread and the cup, Lord. Uh, as we take a little more time to talk about that this morning, Lord, that we will realize again, be very aware of what you have done, what you have done for us. And so, Lord, even now, those saints, that we would, we would clear our hearts, that we would come before you, if there's anything that we need to confess, that we would take the time, even now, even now, to say, Lord, please forgive me. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to pray for Alice. We pray for him along with all the rest of the missionaries that we support um, and, and, and times he goes in. Uh, thank you that he not only has the ability to do it, but Lord, thank you that he has the heart to do it, that he, he has a heart for the people that he is serving in their time of need. He's thinking of them. And so, Lord, uh, guide him and his family, Lord, as they go into these areas where help is desperately needed. And Lord, this morning, we want to pray for our offering. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to, and to share in the ministry of the gospel at Washer Community Church. And we share in that, Lord, by being able to give our tithes and our offerings to further the gospel of Jesus Christ here and, on, and beyond. So God, please bless this time of offering in thy precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. If our ushers would come forward, and Pastor Robert has a ministry minute. Good morning, everybody. We have just finished one month in a new journey at Washare Community Church by having an 11 o'clock all-church-wide Sunday school hour for our kids and for our adults. And I'm already looking ahead uh, to the conclusion of our winter quarter, which ends at the end of this month, February. And we're going to begin a spring quarter of um, opportunities to grow together and to grow in the Lord beginning March. So one month from today, we'll start a new round of uh, adult education and courses. We're going to add one new uh, class during that spring quarter. Pastor Adam's going to lead us in how to develop our spiritual conversations with people. Isn't that a great idea? How to help us to, to start and build spiritual conversations. So um, I'm here to ask the congregation to consider uh, signing up. We want you to come for more. Don't just come for worship, which is a great part of our morning, but come for more. Come for adult education at 11 o'clock. So starting today, as you leave the worship center and as you exit at the main carport, there's a big table there where all the registration uh, materials are there. We're going to ask you to sign up again. Now, some uh, venues are limited in seating, so first come, first served. 
Um, but there will be a card that will be distributed to you as you leave today. There's also some at the uh, parent room back there by the glass window, which will describe all of the uh, classes that we're offering in the spring quarter. So consider that and come for more. That's up here. But I think this is really important every once in a while to realize um, the importance of communion and why we take communion. And if there was anything that, you know, after I leave here, if you remember one thing, it would be this, these three circles, these three circles. So you, you, you draw a circle and you put a heart in it like that. You put a heart in there and God created the world and he created it perfect. And he created out of love and out of unity. But do we live in a perfect world? No. We live in a very broken world. We live in a very broken world. Why do we live in this broken world? Because A and E, A and E, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. Instead of going with what God said, or they resisted, you could use either word, Instead of going with what God said, they went with what Satan said. And because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, we also have rebelled against God. So we live in this broken world, and we try to escape the broken world. And so we have these squiggly bungee cord arrows going out from here. And so maybe it's fame. Maybe we try to get fame. Maybe we try to get, um, um, maybe it's with how much money we have. We try to get value in that. Or maybe our possessions or our toys that we have. But they're bungee cords, and they stretch out for so far, and then what is ultimately going to happen, boom, you get pulled back into that broken world. Is there a way of escape out of this broken world? I've put a little door there. Is there a way of escape? And the answer is yes. There is a way of escape. Because the God, this God, Loves this world, loves this broken world so much. So much. What did he do? He sent his son, born of a virgin, who lived and died upon a cross, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And he died upon that cross for the forgiveness, for us to have forgiveness from our sins. He didn't only die on the cross, he was buried in the grave, but on the third day he rose again. And he rose again to ascend into heaven. And that Savior said he was coming again. And that is the way of escape out of this broken world. Well, what needs to happen then? Well, we need to go from rebelling to repenting. We need to go, we need to be believing that Jesus is the Christ. He is the answer to this broken world. How does this happen? God gives gives us faith. God opens our eyes and opens our heart to see that Jesus is the way out of this broken world. And when we our eyes are opened, our heart is open, then we respond with this repentance and belief and we make Jesus king of our lives. King of our lives. When we make him king of our lives, now we go from rebelling to repenting to being restored. And we're restored in the K of G, the kingdom of God. 
And while we're in this state, there's two things that happen. He says, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. I want you to grow more like Christ. And the next thing is I'll put a dotted line over here like this. I want you to go. Where does he want us to go? Back into that broken world and tell them about a God that loves them so much that he made a way of escape out of this broken world through Jesus Christ that we would go. So we go from um, running away from God to running to God. Now, how's, why is this all... How does this connect with uh, communion? How does this connect with communion? Those that take communion, those that take communion are ones who their eyes have been opened and their heart has been warmed by God to have faith and they have repented and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ones that take communion. The ones that say, He is King of my life. He surrendered all, and I'm surrendering my life to Him. And therefore, He says to that group, He says, take the bread and the cup. The bread representing the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cup representing the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And do this until I come again. I come again. And so it is a witness that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now many times, um, we make communion... I hate to use the word easy, but easy in the sense that this is a time where you make a proclamation. And so we're doing communion a little bit differently this morning. And so this, the, the worship team is going to play a song during this time, but I'm going to ask you to approach the table this morning. And whatever section that you're in, to make it uniform, if you go to your right, if you go to your right, and then come up to the table and then go and make a circle kind of back to your seat. That will work out the best way to do this. But I encourage you to do this. Now, if you have children, um, parents, feel free for just one of you to come up and, and, get, and get the elements. Feel free. When you get back, parents, um, allow your children to see what you mom and dad are doing as they take the bread and the cup. It takes them a time to explain it to them. Um, you might be with some really good friends this morning who are also taking communion. Take communion together. Don't wait at the end. Just when you get back to your seat, have your own prayer time. And say, Jesus told me to do this as a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's what I'm doing this morning. And so it's just a little added element this morning. That as you rise from your seat, and you come up to the table... Well, that, that's, that's very small in relationship to what he did on the cross. So may we be faithful in that this morning. Let me, let's all stand and let me, let me pray before we get started here. So Heavenly Father, I pray that this little illustration has helped us to understand the gospel. To understand um, that when you called your disciples to do this until you returned, it is for those who, who you are king of their lives. You're the one that they belong to. And um, so as we make our way to the bread and the cup and as we make our way back to our seats and 
as we sit down and we have some time alone with you, or maybe parents have some time with their children around this, um, that this would be a precious time to remember what you have done. And Lord, always, that we would remember that you are coming again. You are coming again. The Lord bless this time of communion this morning. In my precious name, amen. Just a reminder. I am so thankful that we are going into 2 Peter. We're going into a new book of the Bible this this morning. Um, We could say a few years later. You know, in a movie, sometimes they'll put that up there. A few years later. That's basically what's happening between 1 Peter and 2 Peter is a few years later. It's the same group that's being addressed. So it's the same author, Peter. It's the same audience, the same group being addressed. It's just a few years later now. Um, you could also title Second Peter this way. There's three chapters. Chapter one is the good. Chapter two is the bad. And chapter three is the great. You could, you could do it that way. One more thing about this is that between First Peter and Second Peter, um, the scholars would have to tell you this, that it's the same language, Greek, that it's written in, but one is a more of a formal Greek and one is more informal Greek. And so that kind of gives you the idea that probably um, Peter uh, was probably dictating this to somebody that was writing it down, and whoever was writing down First Peter and whoever was writing down Second Peter were probably two different people, and, and, that they, and that they wrote differently because of their teaching in the Greek kind of thing. So, um, but what I want to show you, though, is how these two books are connected. We're going we're gonna to jump back to 1 Peter, I don't know how many times, so that you see that, wait a minute, this same thought, this same wording is being used by Peter in 1 Peter that is also in 2 Peter. So with that, I want to go right into the scriptures this morning, and we're just going to start to read. So the greeting says this, uh, Simeon Peter, Simeon Peter, and we'll stop right there. So he uses both his birth name and his Jesus-given name. He gives uh, Simeon, or Simon, is his birth name. And then Jesus came along and gave him a second name called Peter. And he puts both of those together. Sometimes in the scriptures, when Peter is referred to as Simon or Simeon, it's because he's acting like before Christ. He's he's not acting the way that he should be acting. And then there's other times when he's referenced as Peter, as Peter, where he is, like on the day of Pentecost, who stands up and gives the sermon on the day of Pentecost? Peter stands up and says, listen, I I have to explain to you what's going on. The second thing he says is, is Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He describes himself as one who gives oneself up for another's will. That's That's a servant. A servant gives his will up for another for another. And then he says, I'm an apostle. That's one sent forth with orders from another. So what Peter is saying, he's describing himself. He's saying, I have set aside my will for the will of another, and I have been sent out by another with this message, with this cargo as an apostle of, and then it says, of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. Then he says, to those, to those, and there's our first throwback to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, when he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those 
who were the elect exiles, the saved, of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So to those, not to all, but to those who have obtained a faith. They have obtained a faith. They have received, that word means received by lot. They have received this from another. They have received this faith from another. I have obtained this faith from another because saving faith comes from God. Saving faith comes from God. Uh, I, I put down on your sheet, I didn't put it up on the screen, but I put down on your sheet, you know, Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9. We've, we know these verses. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this faith is not from yourselves, is a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. Another one, Romans 12, and we usually read verses 1 and 2, but I want you to read verse 3. Verse 3 says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves in sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So who gave you the measure of faith that you have? God gave it to you. God gave it to you. If you flip back to Ephesians, I know I'm bouncing all over here. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23 says, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God. Faith, where did the faith come from? It came from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you flip over to Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, and it says, For it has been granted to you, given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. So it's been granted onto you to be able to believe on him, to be able to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So Peter says to those, the saved, you have obtained a faith, you have received a faith from another of equal standing with ours. And that phrase means of the same price, of the same price. And again, we talked about Peter's humility. That was a great transformation in his life from the Gospels to now, now later on, there's a humility. He's not saying, I'm, I'm better than you. I was an eyewitness of him. Therefore, I have a higher standing than you. He doesn't say that at all. He says, of equal, this faith that you have received is of equal standing of ours, of ours. Um, in that day, of course, he is dealing with um, Jews and Gentiles. He's dealing with the Jews being the um, people of God. But in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, he said there's a blessing that's coming that's going to be a blessing to all the nations. And so they're, they're at this crucial point where, where the, Jew, the Jews that believe in God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ need to realize that the Gentiles, who also believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are, are, are in the same family. We're in the same family together. So I thought I'd give you a couple of those because Peter has to uh, kind of defend this or explain this. In Acts chapter 11, verse 17, he says, So if God gave them, meaning the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? I mean, if he did the same thing for the equal price, equal value, who was I to think I could oppose God? and say one is over the other. Now, another time he does this is in Acts chapter 15 and verse 8. Very similar. He says to them, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, 
by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So he's saying to these saved people, you have received, you have obtained a faith that is equal with ours, of the same price. And then the main word here, by. That's the most important word. By. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How did this happen? It, It happened by Jesus Christ. Now, there's no definite article here, or, there's, or it's all tied into one. And I think this is where Peter is tipping his hand and giving you a little insight on what this whole letter is about. Right here in this phrase. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some versions, some versions will say, our God and Savior, comma, Jesus Christ. Because what is he saying there? He's saying, our God, Jesus Christ, and our Savior. Jesus Christ. He's, he's putting that together. He's saying there's a divinity of Christ, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now, this is going to come into play later on in the book, but he he's makes a big deal that Jesus is God, is God. It, he doesn't do anything differently uh, here than, you know, the famous verse, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? was God. Same thing, doing the exact same thing there. So let's keep going on this greeting. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace, the, the word means that which affords joy. The greatest grace, the grace of God is Jesus Christ, who affords all joy, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, And peace, that state of tranquility, that state in which you are at peace with God. You are at peace with God. May that be multiplied. May that be multiplied. And that means in a great amount. In a great amount, may you realize that you have been, all joy has been given to you. And and, and this peace before, in the knowledge, this word knowledge, he will say 15 plus times. He wants them to have a precise and correct knowledge. He wants them to become thoroughly acquainted with who? Of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now they're separated there, but he's letting you know that that one of the purposes of this book, to the ones he's writing to, he wants them to have a precise and correct knowledge of God, and he wants them to have a precise and correct knowledge of Jesus, and he says our Lord, our Lord meaning our master, meaning the one that we belong to. He wants them to become thoroughly acquainted with God. He wants them to become thoroughly acquainted with Jesus, our Lord. Again, he's kind of tipping his hand here because this is really important. He wants them to know it's really important that you have a precise and correct knowledge of God and of Jesus. That's going to come into play, especially in chapter 2. So verses 3 and 4, he says, His divine power... Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. All things. All things are by his power. By his power and with his power. And then he says it again, through the knowledge, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellency. So through the knowledge, that's the second time he uses that. He called us. Here we get to go back. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We read this one so many times. 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. There it is again. Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Back to our passage. Called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. What is the greatest promise of all time? We read it back in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It says, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I, God, am laying a stone, a Zion, in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, whoever believes in this one that represents the stone that he has put in Zion, that is chosen and precious, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, for the honor is for you who believe. That is one of the greatest promises of all time, of all time. Back to our passage, by which he has granted to us the precious and great promises, very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may become sharers of the divine nature. Again, I, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. When Peter is talking to the elders, he says, I exhort you elders among you, fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Again, it's showing his humility that not only do you have a faith that is equal to ours in price, but also we are going to share in the same thing in glory. In glory, then he finishes it with having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That having escaped means seek safety by flight. I'm fleeing from this. Peter's main Old Testament example is Noah. And he'll go back to Noah again. And you think of the story of Noah, and there's a great flood. Why is there a great flood? Because there's great evil in the world. And God pours out his wrath upon the earth. But there's some that have escaped it. Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. And they escaped the wrath of God. How? By going to the same God and following after him and, and being obedient to him. So the God that is going to display his wrath someday is also the same God who provides the way of salvation. Provides the way of salvation. So um, how is this section like 1 Peter? Well, we read this one so many times. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. See if you hear some similarities here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In the last time. Their way, the, the way these two are similar is that when First Peter, he starts to his letter, he says, first thing off, persecuted Christians, you need to remember your salvation. You need to remember it, and it is a great salvation. Second Peter, he does the same thing. He says, I got something to tell you in chapter 2, but what I got to tell you in chapter 2, you need to remember your salvation. And if you remember going through First Peter, God planned it, Jesus purchased it, and the Holy Spirit is what? He's, he's polishing it. Verse 5 through 9 now. 
for this very reason, for this very reason that you have such a great salvation, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Make every effort to supplement. Make sure that this faith that you have, that you are in haste to bring into this faith, and then he's going to give us this whole list. But faith in what? I mean, I have faith in my car. I have faith in the chair I'm sitting in. I have faith in a lot of things in life. No, the faith that he's talking about here is saving faith. The faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the faith he's talking about. What do I add? What do I make haste to add to that conviction of a truth that I have, that I've been persuaded by someone else, by God, that Jesus is the only way? Well, you add virtue is the first one. Virtue. That I add to my faith, this knowledge of a truth, moral goodness. That, that I focus in on my feelings and my actions to be that of moral goodness. I, 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 I add to my faith a, a, an outlook on life where I am living out the goodness of God. I add to that knowledge. I add to this faith a continual understanding, a precise and correct knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a part of my life. It's a part of my faith is that I go back to the word of God and I understand it more. You add to that self-control. You add that we are mastering our desires and passions, that we are actually transferring them to be the desires and passions of God, that the desires and passions I have are not my own anymore. They are God's. I add to that steadfastness, steadfastness, that I, I live this life of faith with a consistency and with an endurance, that it is, is so much a part of my life that there is some consistency there. I add to that goodness, godliness. That to my faith, there is a high respect and there is a high reverence of who God is. I add to that, I add to that a brotherly affection. That with my faith, I am part of a family of God. And in being in this family of God where we call ourselves brothers and sisters, there is a family love for one another. And on top of that, then I add love, agape love. This a benevolence, a benevolence of goodwill for others. A benevolence of goodwill for others. So we have this whole big list here. And um, I want to flip us to Philippians again here. Philippians 2.12. I always try to pull Paul and Peter together at times. 2.12, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is the working out of your salvation. Remember, he's talking to saved people. He's saying, okay, you're saved people. You have a great salvation. You have a great inheritance in front of you. Now, this is how you live your life as a saved person. This list right here. Let me give you another one. Uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6.11. And it says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. But pursue, so be diligent, be pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. There's, there's Paul's list for us there. So we are to do this, and then in verse, so we're up to verse 8 now. For if these qualities, so the things that are listed here, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if these are yours and increasing, the word for increasing means superabounding. So they, they are just, I mean, you're saturated in them and they are superabounding. It's not, I'll get to that someday. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's encompassing your life. You will not be ineffective or unfruitful. You will not be useless or lazy or not yielding, not yielding. Um, and then he says, these qualities keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he has to give you the other side because Peter does this all the time. Peter says, okay, I'll tell you one side of the coin. Now let me give you the other side of the coin. For whoever lacks these qualities, whoever lacks these qualities, that means you don't have these qualities in your hand. They're not readily available to you. You've kind of set them aside somewhere. You've put, set them on the shelf, and they're not in your hand. They're not readily in your hand. Whoever lacks these is so nearsighted that he is blind. Nearsighted, the word there means that you see dimly. You know what you do when you see dimly? You, you kind of, and, 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 and blind means even, even like smoke in your eyes. That you're, it's irritating you kind of thing. He says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins having forgotten that it's not in your hand anymore. You have forgotten, it's not in your hand, this salvation, that you, to remember that, that you've been cleansed, you've been made clean, you've been purified by another. So here's, here's the two sides of the coin. Peter says one person knows even more of Jesus, and the other one is a person who has spiritual amnesia of Jesus. And he just puts those two side by side because... He wants them to realize that, wait, which one does he want them to go to? You know, it's kind of obvious, right? Which one does he want them to go to? He wants them to go to the one where there's a knowledge of even more of Jesus. So 10 and 11 now, he says, therefore, brothers, so he's talking to saved, he's talking to a group, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never all. Whoa, that's quite a statement. We are to be diligent in our salvation. We are, as saved people, we are to live saved lives, like that list. We are to live saved lives. How do we confirm that we are saved? Well, we practice this list, but also we confirm it because we are following a God who is faithful. We are It is confirmed because we have a God who said that those who are saved will receive eternal life. Those who are saved are at peace with God. Those who are saved will have eternity with him. And so it's confirmed because we are following a God who is faithful. And how will we never fall? You're never going to have a bad day? No, that's not what that says. How are we never going to fall? Well, if you go back to that list, if you're persuaded of a truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are living with moral goodness. You're, you're, you're striving, your actions and your feelings to be moral. And you're, you're, you're consistently um, wanting to know more about your God. And, and you are transferring your desires and controls to be his desires and controls. And you are being consistent and, and genuine in your faith. If you are looking to God, all things righteousness of God, if you have brotherly affection for the people of God, and then you have a love generally for all people, I tell you, when you 
get a diagnosis of cancer, who do you think of? You think of him. You don't fall. When, when you have a hard day, you, you, you say, God's going to get me through. You, you don't fall. You don't put God to the side. If, you're, if something doesn't go right, you don't put, put God to the side. No. No, he walks with you through it. it. When I was looking at this yesterday, I, you know that wonderful verse that we all quote, uh, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Yeah, some of you are already quoting it. Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things. Well, that means, wait a minute, wait a minute. So when I got diagnosed with cancer, that's in the all things. And so I got to look at that differently. If I believe that God says all things will work out for his good, for those who love him, I got to look at that all differently. I got to do a Philemon and say, perhaps this is the reason that I realize that, wait a minute, I'm not going to fall because I, I serve a God who is faithful, who will take me to the end. So verse, we're back in there, verse 11, for in this way they will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There will be richly provided. Again, he's speaking to saved people here. That Just think about that. Think about when you enter the eternal kingdom and you've been living this kind of a life. You've been living a saved life that is, that, is, that is working out this salvation. And you get to meet him. You get to meet the one that you have sang his name so many times. You get to meet the one that took you through some of the hardest things in life. You get to meet the one who, who, who died on the cross for your sins. You get to meet the one that you've been reading his book all this time. You get to meet that one. You will be richly provided when you have that opportunity. Um, I did give you one more verse there, and we'll jump back to that because it's important. P tying Peter to Paul. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And you know these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, Against such things, there is no law. Well, it doesn't mean that, that there is not law. There is law. But those that the fruit of the Spirit is living in, it, then, then that you're, you're with. And we're talking about the law of God, not just the general law. We're talking about the law of God. If you, the fruit of the Spirit is living within you, then you are, you are under that law. You are in accordance with that law. And therefore, that law is not brought against you because these fruits are coming into your life. Uh, our second son, our second child, Abraham, was uh, getting ready for his driver's test. And um, he, was, he had to learn all, the, the written test. And he had to learn all these things. And the blood alcohol level is point something, something, you know. And he's trying to memorize all this stuff. And he came to me one day and he said, why do I have to learn all this stuff? I'm never going to do that, Dad. And I was like, well, yeah, I understand. I'm thankful that you said that, Abe. Um, but it's the law. And even though it's, it's the law, it's there. You, even though, it, and, and if you hold to what you just said, 
Yeah, that law will never be used against you. That law will never be used against you. So he's saying in these passages there that, that we, as we live our saved lives this way, we're under the law of God, the way that He wants us to live our lives. Now, verse 12 through 15, Peter switches gears. He says, therefore I, now notice that there. He's, he's, saying, he's addressing himself. Therefore I intend to always to remind you, he'll say that over and over again, he's the great reminder of these qualities. He says, I'm going to remind you over and over and over again of these qualities Though you know them, there's that word again, and are established in the truth that you have. He keeps going. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. There's number two. Um, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So what is Peter saying there? He made clear to me that he's going to die soon. And, he, and Jesus made that clear to him in John chapter 21. After Jesus had asked Simon, you know, do you love me more than these? Then he turned to him in verse 18 and said, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. You were in charge. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And then he says these beautiful words. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter, and here's the beautiful words, would glorify God. Jesus, it, this is the amazing thing about Peter. So Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And guess what? Peter denied him three times. And then Jesus tells Peter, before it ever happens, that you're going to come back to me. You're going to come back to me. And guess what Peter does? He comes back to Jesus. And then he tells them, when you come back, this is what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen the brethren. I want you to strengthen the brethren. And what does Peter do? He does that. He writes these two letters. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he's an apostle, and he goes out with a message and everything. He strengthens the brethren. And here, Jesus says, okay, you're going to die. Your, your arms are going to be stretched out. You're going to die. But in your death, you're going to glorify me. And guess what Peter did? He glorified God. Man, doesn't that just, ugh, goosebumps. Like, how much does Jesus know about us? Man, he knows everything about us. And Jesus bats a thousand. I mean, every time he swings the bat, it's a home run. I mean, just every single time he does this. So Peter is asking, and, and look what he, what he said here. And I, verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to take time to recall these things. I will make every effort. If you remember, if you go back to verse 5, when he's speaking to them, he says, for this very reason, make every effort. So what is Peter doing here? Peter is asking them to do what he is doing himself. He's not asking them to do something that he is not doing himself. He is making every effort. And he's making every effort. He's using his final days to leave a legacy to follow. And that's where I'm going to end this morning, is that that, that whole idea is, is, are we living, leaving a legacy to follow? Peter is using his last words, he's writing down these last things to say, I want you to know Jesus. 
I want you to have a precise and correct knowledge of God. I want you to be living out your saved lives because something's coming in chapter 2. And it's really important when you approach that chapter 2 that you're living a saved life and that you have a precise knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is. But He's leaving this legacy for them to follow. Are we leaving a legacy? for those that God has put around us to have a precise and correct knowledge of God and a precise and correct knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are we living a legacy to follow? Um, with all diligence, I'm going to... Worship team, come on up. I'm going to read this last verse because this, this is amazing to see this tie together. So it's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, and verse 9, starting at verse 9. And so Hebrews, um, the writer of Hebrews, listen to similarities here. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. So the things that accompany that you are saved. God is not unjust. No, he's a just God. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continued to help them. As saved people, what are we? We're helper people. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order that you make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So there's our start in first in Second Peter. Peter wants them to know something. He wants them to know, have a correct knowledge of Jesus and of God. He wants to remind them again of the great salvation. And in that great salvation, that the response that we should have is to live out that salvation. And all of this is a precursor to chapter two, which we'll get to like in three weeks. Uh, because he's going to bring up something. That, that you need to be standing firm on your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be standing firm so that you are not brushed away. You are not taken from one side to the other. That this persuaded that the conviction of a truth stands firm. Stands firm. Those that are going to the come for more, I hope that you grapple with that question. What kind of legacy am I leaving for the people that God has put around me that they know of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What kind of legacy am I, am I leaving? Am I using even my final breath to, to let them know that God loves them? So let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to give all glory to you. Um, Lord, thank you for the starting of this book. And, and I pray that you will help us to glean Everything possible, Lord, from this one who is using his final breath to prepare us, Lord, for the world that we live in. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. It's been a good morning, hasn't it? I just want to remind you when you leave on, on your left, you'll see the new uh, schedules for Come for More from March. Take a look at that. Uh, highlight of next Sunday, not only will John Payne be here to give the message, but Stephanie will be back. Woo! Man, I'm looking forward to this. 
And, uh, but I want you to go in peace and, and, and live your saved life. Be diligent. Be diligent to live your saved life. What a rich blessing it will be when we see him face to face. God's blessing on you. Have a great day.